Chapter Fourteen of the Holiday Case: A Tale by Burton E. Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Holiday Case: A Tale by Burton E. Stevenson. Chapter Fourteen: I Prove a Bad Sentinel. I watched him with a kind of fascination until he disappeared through the door of the cabin. I could guess what it had cost him to drag himself from his bed what agony of apprehension must have been upon him to make him take the risk the jourdains puzzled at my not returning unable to keep silence suspecting perhaps some plot against themselves had doubtless gone to the hospital and told him of my appearance there had been no way for me to guard against that he had easily guessed the rest he had only to consult the passenger list to assure himself that mr royce and i were aboard and he was following us hoping what what could a man in his condition hope to accomplish what need was there for us to fear him and yet there was something about him something in the atmosphere of the man that almost terrified me i came back to earth to find that royce and mrs kemble had drifted away together and that my companion was regarding me from under half-closed lids with a little smile of amusement so you're awake again mr lester she asked do you often suffer attacks of that sort pardon me i stammered uh, the fact is i-i-you look quite dismayed she continued relentlessly you seemed positively horror-stricken i saw nothing formidable about him no you don't know him i retorted and stopped lest i should say too much she was smiling broadly now an adorable smile that wrinkled up the corners of her eyes and gave me a glimpse of little white teeth i think we'd better sit down she said your knees seem to be still somewhat shaky mother and mr royce have deserted us so we sought a seat near the stern where we could watch the city sink gradually away in the distance as the great boat glided smoothly out into the bay her engine starting on the rhythm which was to continue ceaselessly until the voyage ended i confess frankly i was worried i had not thought for a moment that martigny would have the temerity to board the same boat with us yet it was not so wonderful after all since he could not guess that i suspected him that i knew him and vertune to be the same person that was my great advantage in any event we were in no danger from him he was probably following us only that he might warn his confederates should we seem likely to discover them certainly they were in no present danger of discovery and perhaps might never be but his following us his disregard of the grave danger to himself gave me a new measure of his savage determination to baffle us i found myself more and more beginning to fear him my fancy cast about him a sinister cloud from the depths of which he peered out at us grim livid threatening should i inform mr royce of this new development i asked myself then i remembered the doctor's words he must have rest and quiet during the coming week he must be free from worry i trust that i'm not in the way mr lester inquired a low provoking voice at my side and i awoke to the fact that i had again been guilty of forgetting my companion miss kemble i began desperately let me confess that i am in an exceedingly vexatious situation the fact that i can't ask advice makes it worse you can't even ask mr royce she queried with raised brows 
he least of all you see he's just recovering from a severe nervous breakdown he must have quiet that's one reason he's taking this voyage i see she nodded i glanced at her again at the open candid eyes the forceful mouth and chin and i took a sudden resolution miss kemble i said i am going to ask your help that is if i may of course you may well then that man who came on board last is the inveterate enemy of both mr royce and myself we're trying to unearth a particularly atrocious piece of villainy in which he is concerned i have reason to believe him capable of anything and a very fiend of cleverness i don't know what he may plot against us but i'm certain he'll plot something mr royce doesn't even know him by sight and shouldn't be worried but unless he's forewarned he may walk right into danger i want you to help me keep an eye on him to help me keep him out of danger if we look after him closely enough i shan't need to warn him will you help me her eyes were dancing as she looked up at me why certainly she cried so we're to have a mystery just we two just we two i assented with a quickened pulse she looked at me doubtfully for a moment i must remember mr graham's warning she said you haven't invented this astonishing story just to entertain me mr lester oh, on my word no i responded a little bitterly i only wish i had there she said contritely i shouldn't have doubted forgive me mr lester only it seemed so fantastic so improbable it is fantastic i assented but unfortunately it is true we must keep an eye on m martigny or bethune which is his real name those are the only ones i know but i doubt if either is the true one royce and mrs kemble joined us a moment later and we sat watching the low distant long island shore until the gong summoned us to lunch a word to the steward had secured us one of the small tables in an alcove at the side mrs kemble and her daughter surrendered the grandeurs of the captain's table willingly even gladly to minister to us and the meal was a merry one mr royce seeming in such spirits that i was more than ever determined not to disturb him with the knowledge of martigny's presence as the moments passed my fears seemed more and more uncalled for it was quite possible i told myself that i had been making a bogey of my own imaginings the frenchman did not appear in the saloon and afterwards an inquiry of the ship's doctor developed the fact that he was seriously ill and quite unable to leave his stateroom. So afternoon and evening passed. There were others on board who claimed their share of the charming Mrs. Kemble and her daughter. Mr. Royce knew a few of them, too, and introduced me to them, but I found their talk somehow flat and savourless. I fancied that my companion looked slightly wearied, too, and at last we stole away to our deck-chairs, where we sat for an hour or more looking out across the dancing waves, listening to the splash of the boat as she rose and fell over them. He was thinking, no doubt, of a certain dark beauty, whose caprices there was no explaining. As for me, well, I had suddenly developed a sturdy preference for blue eyes. I may as well confess at once that I was seasick. It came next morning, ten minutes after I had left my berth, not a violent sickness but a faintness and giddiness that made me long for my berth again but mr royce would not hear of it he got me out on deck and into my chair with the fresh breeze blowing full in my face there was a long line of chairs drawn up there 
and from the faces of most of their occupants I judged they were far more miserable than I. At the end of an hour, thanks to this treatment, I felt almost well again, and could devour with some appetite the luncheon which Mr. Royce ordered for me. After a while the doctor came down the line and looked at each of us, stopping for a moment's chat. The more serious cases were below, and all that any of us needed was a little encouragement. "'Won't you sit down a minute, doctor?' I asked, when he came up to me, and motioned to Mr. Royce's chair. "'Why, you're not sick!' he protested, laughing, but he dropped into the vacant place. "'It wasn't about myself I wanted to talk,' I said. "'How's your other patient, the one who came aboard last?' His face sobered in an instant. "'Martigny is his name,' he said, "'and he's in very bad shape. "'He must have been desperately anxious to get back to France. "'Why, he might have dropped over dead there on the gangplank.' "'It's a disease of the heart.' "'Yes, far advanced. "'He can't get well, of course, "'but he may live on indefinitely, if he's careful.' "'He's still confined to his bed?' "'Oh, yes. "'He won't leave it during the voyage, if he takes my advice.' He's got to give his heart just as little work as possible, or it'll throw up the job altogether. He has mighty little margin to go on. I turned the talk to other things, and in a few moments he went on along his rounds. But I was not long alone, for I saw Miss Kemble coming toward me, looking a very Diana, wind-blown and rosy-cheeked. "'So, Maldemar has laid its hand on you too, Mr. Lester,' she cried only a finger i said but a finger is enough won't you take pity on a poor landsman and talk to him but that's reversing our positions she protested sitting down none the less to my great satisfaction it was you who were to be the entertainer is our mephisto abroad yet she asked in a lower tone i too am feeling his fascination i long for another glimpse of him Mephisto is still wrestling with his heart, which, it seems, is scarcely able to furnish the blood necessary to keep him going. The doctor tells me that he'll probably spend the voyage abed. So there'll be nothing for us to do after all. Do you know, Mr. Lester, I was longing to become a female Lecoq. Perhaps you may still have the chance, I said gloomily. I doubt very much whether Mephisto will consent to remain inactive. He doesn't look to be that sort." She clapped her hands and nodded a laughing recognition to one of the passing promenaders. "'You're going to Paris, aren't you, Miss Kemble?' I asked. "'To Paris, yes. You too. You must be, since you're going to France.' "'We go first to Etretat,' I said, and stopped, as she leaned laughing back in her chair. "'Why, what's wrong with that?' I demanded, in some astonishment. "'Wrong? Oh, nothing. Etretat's a most delightful place.' only it recalled me to an amusing memory of how my mother was one day scandalized there by some actresses who were bathing it's the prettiest little fishing village with the finest cliffs i ever saw but it's hardly the season for etretat the actresses have not yet arrived you'll find it dull we will not stay there long i said but tell me about it i should like to know etretat said my companion is rather a bohemian resort Alphonse Carr discovered it somewhere back in the Dark Ages, and advertised it. The Etretatians were immensely grateful, and named the main street of the town after him, and since then a lot of artists and theatrical people have built villas there. It has a little beach of gravel where people bathe all day long. 
when one's tired of bathing there are the cliffs and the downs and in the evening there's the casino you know french mr lester why i explained i was supposed to study it at college i still remember my j'ai tu a il a <laughs> you'll remember more when you get to etretat she laughed you'll have to or starve oh i also know the phrase made immortal by mark twain avez-vous du vin yes and i think i also have a hazy recollection of the french equivalents for bread and butter and cheese and meat we shan't starve besides i think mr royce can help he's been to france of course and here he comes to claim his chair i won't permit him to claim it if you'll use it a little longer i protested oh but i must be going and she arose laughing have i been a satisfactory entertainer more than satisfactory i'll accept no other but you won't need any at all after this morning i don't really believe you are ill now she nodded to royce and moved away without waiting for my answer which somehow halted on my lips and so i was left to the rosiest the most improbable of day-dreams saturday sunday and monday passed with only such incidents to enliven them as are common to all voyages but i saw that quiet and sea air were doing their work well with my companion and that he was steadily regaining his normal health so i felt more and more at liberty to devote myself to miss kemble in such moments as she would permit me and i found her fascination increasing in a ratio quite geometrical martigny was still abed and so the ship's doctor told me was improving very slowly it was tuesday evening that mrs kemble and her daughter joined us on the promenade and weary at last of strauss waltzes and Sousa marches we sauntered away toward the bow of the boat where the noise from the orchestra could reach us only in far-away snatches we found a seat in the shadow of the wheelhouse and sat for a long time talking of many things watching the moonlight across the water at last we arose to return and royce and mrs kemble started on ahead after a habit they had fallen into which now i think of it i am sure was our junior's doing two more days and we'll be at havre i said i'll be very sorry miss kemble sorry i'd never have suspected you of such a fondness for the ocean oh it's not the ocean i protested and what with the moonlight and the soft night and the opportunity the time and the place and the loved one all together would have uttered i know not what folly had she not sprung suddenly forward with a sharp cry of alarm mr royce she cried mother they stopped and turned toward her just as a heavy spar crashed to the deck before them End of chapter fourteen